Hey there, and welcome to another episode of How to Start a Startup by Hyper. On this episode, we have part one of a fireside chat we did with Hyper founder Aaron Solomon, who's the founder of Amble. He'll be sharing his experience and challenges in building a startup from scratch and how Amble is disrupting the restaurant industry with its innovative approach to last-minute bookings. Tune in to discover how to build a successful startup from the ground up and the importance of staying ahead of the curve in a rapidly evolving business landscape. So with that, let's get into the episode. So welcome to Apollo's first fireside chat for 2023. Today we welcome Aaron, the founder of Amble, the app helping spontaneous people find last-minute bookings and reservations. So thank you for coming on the show, Aaron. Thanks, Tom. Awesome to have you. The first question we've got today is what inspired you to start your own company, Amble? I've always wanted to do my own thing and I wouldn't say that I was always sitting there trying to find an idea for a business. Mm. I had tried that and it just didn't work. Mm. Um, The idea came around when my manager asked me to book a table for six of us for that evening coming back from COVID. Mm. And it was that instant effort, the convoluted touch points and the hassle of doing so that I just said out loud, why can I not just say six of us need a table and broadcast it out and the restaurants can see us and just say, yes, you can have it, like Uber. And then my friend turns to me and went, that's a really good idea. And I went, yeah, it is. And it was that moment where it was almost like nothing else mattered other than I have to pursue this. And then everything sort of changed after that. It's a it's a pretty simple idea, I suppose, when you think it's very similar to Uber, it sends out this pulse, it sends out this message. I feel like it's one of those ideas a lot of people will think, you know, why, why hasn't it been done? done? Yeah. Why, why hasn't it been done? That, why hasn't it been done and has someone's got to have done it? Exactly. Right? So then I spent a week after trying to find that app from everywhere and no one had done it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And now I understand why. <laughs> <laughs> the second question, can you tell us a little bit about your background and when and how you got into the tech industry? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, I was never in tech before. Um, I've always been interested in it. Uh, I'm a bit, I was a nerd, I was a bit of a gamer. So I I understand tech and things that come out and whatever. Um, I was in finance. I literally left school at 17. Um, I went straight into London and just took the first sales job I could get and just worked in the same industry for 10 years, different companies and worked my way up. Um, I had a very good career doing so. Um, So getting into tech and starting a tech business probably took longer and I learned a lot more, but I was very open to doing so. And and now, you know, very much in that space, obviously launching the app. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So can you describe the actual concept and functionality of Amble? How does it differ from anyone else in the market? Yeah, so... There's a couple of things. So obviously the initial idea was to broadcast out, I need a table and the restaurants actually go, yes, you can have it. So there are similar booking sites out there and things that get you discounts and whatever. Um, I guess the difference for us is obviously we want to pay on the venues. um, Obviously, we want them to drive as much revenue as possible. And there's a last minute gap that we saw and not sort of the future space. So actually going into venues and saying, look, we want to drive footfall. You know, everyone that stands out on the street or they've got signs outside, we're basically replacing that with tech, right? 
And the main difference is obviously venues have no idea who's looking at their venue online or walking past it or anything like that. And essentially what our app does is allow venues with the, the platform that we've built is to see people in the area that are actually looking for a table mm-hmm. and can either ping them and say that we're free or see when they go, I want something, they get that immediate response mm-hmm. back. So we kind of, that's our marketplace that we're, that we're establishing. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a lot to do, I suppose my company, Hyper, and, and it probably yeah. helped you a lot when it when it came to the user experience. So I, I suppose, can you explain from a user experience perspective, how easy, primary focus obviously was a couple of clicks. Yeah, 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 it has to be. Do the work for the consumer. It has to be. So explain, I suppose, the, the user experience, what buttons do they need to press and how well, easy it is. Go, going back to the last question you asked about you know, I hadn't been in tech before, right? So I knew from a tech perspective that the apps I use are the Divaru, Just Eat, Uber, Get Here, whatever, i.e. one, two, click, and what I want arrives. So when I've been on booking apps before, it's fill out the people, time, date, car details, and all this, and I'm going, that's too much. Whereas what we wanted to do is just say, number of guests, time you want, boom, and you get the response and it's just done, like two, three clicks and you get that. So applying a very naive way of thinking about tech to this has actually kind of worked because actually users pick it up mm-hmm. and actually the you know, the tutorial for them is not, you know, non-existent. They know straight away how to use it and that's been the quite good thing about yeah. the app. I was actually out two nights ago and I used Amble. Here we go. And the, just the response from friends that see this couple of clicks all of a sudden, the work being done for us. Mm. I was in the city of London and there was 42 restaurants within mm. 30 seconds that were going to accept me. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing watching that feedback. It is, and it's great. And it's also the re- the restaurant partners, I'm sure we'll talk about that, but the restaurant partners are so behind it because it's driving a really good customer. Mm. These aren't people that are looking for deals or have a discount or, you know, these are good customers that are going, I need something. So the customer's like, yes, I've got something what I want in no time and the venue is going, I've just filled a table, I love this customer. Mm-hmm. So you get a really nice sort of experience when you go to a venue because they know you're coming, they're ready for you and you're filling that gap that they would have otherwise lost because in the restaurant space, obviously, if it, the, the more a table or anything's not there, they're not getting money for it. And obviously, for the last thing we want to do is walk around London that's cold seven months of the year going, where am I going? Exactly. Oh. I remember having a phone call with you and it was when we realised time. Yeah. We're saving the consumer That's it. time. We're saving them 20 minutes, mm. right? Mm. 30 minutes, even an hour calling venues. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it was amazing. So the next question and probably the question most viewers want to hear is how did you raise £2 million? And let's start with rewinding 12 months. Yeah. What was your outreach strategy? Who did you call? How did you get on to five or ten investors? Explain that a bit. I I, I bet that anyone who's thinking of starting a business or wants to start a business probably puts off doing so because, well, how am I going to get the money? But once you've got an idea that makes sense, the story's right, it's been validated mm. and it's going to make money or the model makes sense, then actually getting the money isn't difficult because people 
who have money want to invest in these things and have the money to do so. So if you put something good in front of them and you're confident enough and it actually makes sense what you're saying, then raising money, yes, is difficult, and especially the climate we're in, it is difficult, but actually that's all you can do. So if your business is ever going to work and you can do those first four things and showing you've got something that's going to work, the last thing is raising money and then you've got your business. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the process was... Well, it's, it's, Non-stop. As, as as a you know founder, you've got a great team with the money you get, and it's just constantly raising and making sure that you've got that runway and that cliff just stays as far away as possible. <laughs> you know, and I mean, you, you're, most founders are always trying to raise five hundred first, or two million, or three million. Were you looking for small check sizes? Were you accepting capital from any investor? Mm, it's really it's a good question because. Our first check we raised from our chairman and seed investor was 100 grand. Yeah. And that was the most surreal moment where that hit the account and you're going, I've never seen that much money before. Yeah. After that, when you start to realize how much time you're putting into the business and the conversations you need to have, you'll be looking at minimum check sizes that are still quite large because it's just not worth the time. Then you get really good at understanding who is actually serious about investing as well. Yeah. Um, but the first one's the most important one because it actually allows you to build your business over a bit of paper and a bit of conversation. You actually can build. I mean, that's when we came straight to you guys. We then had enough to get us through the first initial program to develop and get our product start start to build. So that was the most crucial one because it actually then start to build a business. Now, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to ask you this question, but I'm going to. What was the first thing you said when seven figures your bank account when seven figures a million pounds was it a swear word what was it yeah it was it was like we're gonna need more than this (laughs) we're gonna need more than this it's a good start it's a good start but it's good that it was like okay so people believe in this Mm. it's not just us that think it's a good idea Mm. Um, but that money doesn't come from just people thinking it's a good idea that sort of level money comes when you start to prove You've got something that people are going to want when it hits the market. That's raising pre-launch as well. Now that we've launched, you know, I'm looking forward to raising again because actually there's good numbers, there's good metrics, and things are working whilst things haven't worked. It's not been perfect. It's been hard. But I think raising that sort of money again, you don't you you need because you need it to survive. It's food yeah. for the business. It's not, oh God, we've got this money, let's go. Like it's this is what we need to survive. And you've got even, even, you know, even a hundred grand, two million pounds, a pound note is a pound note. Mm. It all counts and it can go, it goes way quicker than it comes in. Mm. Mm. And that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. And obviously you've seen yourself businesses burn out of cash so quickly because they're not ready or prepped for, for anything that comes. And I suppose as soon as you get the money, it's very exciting, but you realize, okay, now I need to deploy it. Now I need to spend it. I want to spend it wisely. You know, you're not always going to hire the, the right team. But you don't, you don't spend it. I mean, with, you know, taking this with a pinch of salt, you don't spend it wisely at the start because you don't know what the fuck you're doing, yeah. right? So you have an idea. I mean, we had a really good team. We had you guys, we've got advisors, venue, we've got hospitality in, uh, experts in the business. Still, you get things wrong, staff, tech, ideas, whatever. But then actually when it comes together at the end, you know, now you've got those five, six, seven things that are working, like the tech's fantastic, the bugs 
a non-existent. Yeah. You know, you can see what bits are working, what what's actually attracting users to book and book again, dial that up. Dial. So you kind of, that money is to put the building in place and then mm-hmm. now the money would be for actually growing it and maintaining it and pushing it and dialing up the things that are working. So you're going to get it wrong. You can't. It's just making sure that you really are careful though and know what's going in and out because yeah. it, it, you can get, we didn't, but you can get carried away. Now, I'm going to ask a question that you are not aware of. And <laughs> if we have to edit it out, we will. Hopefully, we won't. Yeah. There's some challenges and obstacles you've faced. There's the conversation we had to have around quitting your job. How did that go down? Well, considering you asked me that question in front of investors, and I said, I'm not quitting my job. And you went, well, you're going to fail then. It's a tough pill to swallow. I was getting married last year. Mm. I'd been in a, an amazing job that took me 10 years to get to that position. And then for literally having an idea that had been around for two months, but still got something going. And then you sat there and when you have to quit your job, I said, I wanted to quit at the end of the year. And you went, no, you're going to have to quit in, in, in February. No, you didn't. You said, I'm going to have to quit in April. And it was yeah. January at the time. And I went, I'm not quitting my job. And you went, well, <laughs> see you later and walked out of the room. So it wasn't that. And I remember in that meeting as well, I said, I need you to get 750 MOUs signed. Yep. And you said, how? How I'm am I going to do that? 750 signed contracts. I've got a full-time job. What did you do? Well, what I did was my commute to work was two hours from where I live to London. And then every day after work, it was November at the time, I started walking around every night after work, going and knocking on restaurant doors to sign my MOUs Mm -hmm. to make sure that when this app came out that they would use it and showing as many people as can the prototype. And by the time I quit my job, which I wanted to be at the end of the year and you wanted to be May, it was actually January. Mm -hmm. So I quit my job then. We then went on to sign 1,200 venues up in the six months after that and grew a team. Doubled and doubled up. it. And did that make much difference when you were chatting? Wouldn't have worked. The business wouldn't have worked. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The big, you know, this huge demand from a proof. There was a huge demand from the merchant's perspective. And on challenges and obstacles, I'm going to bring up the billboards and the conversation oh. we had when it was, oh. a, you could almost say it was code red email and we caught up at radio rooftop that wasn't nice that was a really well that was a you know it was a bad meeting because it was the first one where we didn't have a drink yeah you ordered apple juice yeah orange juice, and, you... and i said i'll have the same <laughs> <laughs> and i suppose yeah far out you've come a long way since then but the conversation was around stop what you're doing immediately stop yeah. these billboards it's, it's going to screw your economics so I suppose for founders out there what's your advice when it comes to unit economics your cost per install not making the same mistake so like we, we, we had the billboards and the annoying thing is is the billboards were amazing they went up and we had loads of people emailing and like messaging us and going oh we're trying to download your app and we can't mm. Because it got delayed things anyway. So yeah. it was like a really good thing, but at like just the complete wrong time. Yeah. And I guess the thing that I know now is like 
you have to start with the non-scalable stuff before you can do the nice-to-haves like PR and billboards mm. and all this stuff because you can't one afford to get it wrong or two afford to do it anyway. Mm. And there, you know, you, your billboard rollout is something you do way down when your thing's working when actually it works. Right now, all, the only thing you need to worry about as a, from my point of view as a founder is just making sure when you launch it, your shit works and that mm. people use it. Mm. And then every single person, you spend your money on talking to every single person that's using your app from, if it's a consumer app, consumer side, if it's a B2B app or SaaS platform, that side, marketplace like ours, both sides. Because then you can really spend the money on what matters actually at working. Mm. But it was a tough conversation. Yeah. And I remember... I remember you know, losing my tail between my legs. <laughs> we won't talk about, you know, how much was spent, but, you know, I just remember Rupal saying... You need to be getting installs for a pound. Yeah. Right now, how many installs are you getting this month? None, because mm. we hadn't gone live. You're just doing a brand awareness mm-hmm. campaign. And it was great for brand awareness. It was great for brand awareness. What do the VCs want to see? They want to see ROI on every pound. Every pound. single pound. Exactly. So, yeah, so we've revised it. And obviously now we've launched and we're six, six, seven weeks into launch, seven weeks into launch. Um, and we are, we've had seven and a half thousand downloads. Um, over 60% of them are then registered and you've got to register to do anything in the, like to actually make a booking you can go into the app and do whatever you want but when you go book it's that so mm. we put that deep in the app to really get good quality users but the thing that's the best thing out of it is because we really you know that was back in sort of July, August time we've had them a few months of like just really understanding what we need to do and the stat that's the most important thing is that repeat usage so that stat's like 55% of people that have booked and booked again. We had one guy go to four bars in a night. <laughs> one guy went to four bars in a night. So, what, was he with two or three people? Four people. So, so we made 28. Well, he then booked four places at 16, then he booked again yeah. a week later. So that guy's done £28 revenue, just one person, yeah. in four weeks. So, yeah, lifetime value of a customer. Well, like this is my point, but, but, like, but like Netflix... You probably have it. Um, and people in your family have it. You share the same account, which is split 15 quid before, mm-hmm. right? So if I can get this one person to go out four times, you know, I need... So now, it's let's get 100 more of him, 1,000 more of him, 20,000 more of him, you know? Exactly. And they're the people you want on the app. Exactly. So, brilliant. Let's rewind back to when we helped you run a focus group. How important is a focus group? What what do you remember picking up? What issues did we find? Um, the as a founder, you think you know your app inside out and you like well your product inside out. But until you get it into like the hands of other people, mm-hmm. like even within seconds, they're like, "Oh, it'd be good if you could do this." Or what about this? And you think, "Oh God," because you know your app so well, and they mm-hmm. don't. Um, I think it's not just about doing one focus group it's constant focus groups and then doing types of focus groups i.e. calling and speaking and talking to your customers you know we did I said I understand you can't email and talk to people that haven't consented but like we'll buy a meal for someone that just gives us feedback on the app that is booked twice or three times right Mm -hmm. because we just want to know why and how they're doing it so it's last in itself just a continuous focus group because you because in a play in, a, in an app like ours and marketplaces it does like we can build the tech and everything and do all the advertising but unless people are happy to use it mm. with the iterations and the feel and even just like button placement colors 
is everything, mm. you know? Mm. Text changes, font. Yeah. And you want to put everything in your app, but you, you can't, can't put everything well, in your I know that very well. <laughs> you, you know, focus group. I remember there was probably, was 25 of us in that focus group. Yeah. And we walked away after everyone filled out the survey. And we had a really good, we couldn't believe some of the responses. No. And, you know, 70% of people wanting certain features. 100%. That really gave us clarity for the next three months. 100%. Dev schedule. 100%. But it gives you, you build the app because the, these are the people using it. You can't build what you want. You know, I wasn't fixing a problem that I had experienced in hospitality. I was fixing a problem as a customer. And my job was validating everyone with that problem. Mm -hmm. And then how do I make it fit this side for they this as well? Mm. That was the challenge. It was yeah. focus groups both sides. Big time. So on Apollo, you're now reaching out mm. to investors, VCs. We've introduced you to a few VCs recently. Mm -hmm. What's your strategy? Obviously, you're now revenue bookings. It's time to start speaking to VCs. What's going through your head in regards to the pitch? Is it going to be different to when you were pitching to yeah, for the SEIS, the, the retail and retail investors, and and just explain how you think. I, I, I see, because I, obviously you you early invited me into Apollo, and I've seen how many people are joining it. I see it as like a more streamlined version of LinkedIn, where it's only VCs and important people and investors, and they're all there, and they're all responding, and they're all liking your things, and you're posting, and they're getting back to you. It's just kind of where you want to be as a founder that's trying to get out there because there's nothing harder than raising money and getting in front of the right people. And the fact that there's a platform that does all that for you, that has all these people vetted on there, it's nuts. Yeah, It's brilliant. And we've had some good connections and great conversations from it. And as a founder, now actually having a business that has some unit economics that are only very small and obviously we're only just started, but these people get it. And they're the right kind of people you need to be in front of. Yeah. I don't want to sell Apollo, you know, too much, but obviously yes, I'm, yes, I'm very passionate about yeah. what we're doing right now. And what does frustrate me a lot in the industry is people that say they're investors, but they're time wasting. But you see what you just said there about this frustrated me. That's the whole, I think, they're like energy or, or reason that people start businesses or do something anyway. Like you've got a business, you've got a hyper that puts you know, people like me on the map and get me, you get, get, get these people to build these businesses. And yet you've seen the other struggle is the time wasters, the wrong VCs, the wrong institutions, and you've amalgamated and aggregated the right ones yeah. into yeah. something that's putting them together. And it's, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. One of the qualifying questions we're asking is, are you an active investor and how many investments did you make last year? That really wipes out a lot of, on LinkedIn, there's a million people that say they're investors, but actually only 1% made an investment last year. So from my perspective, on uh, Apollo Investor Pro section, every investor has to be active, every investor. They're responsive as well, and they can come and ask you questions. And it's just about a lot of it, obviously, they're monitoring what you're doing as well. So it's just as important for a founder or a business to be active in it as well. Mm -hmm. um, because these people do look, and there is still money out there. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the last questions: What's the next five years look like? Have you are you already are you thinking about an exit? Are you thinking about the stock market? Are you thinking about an acquisition? Who is that going through your mind? Yeah, um, 
I know where I want this business to get to and where I want to get, not say get out, and know where I want to be in it and where I'll be at my, um, you know, this is my first, I've had businesses like side businesses and my own sort of online things as a kid, the, you know, mid, you know, young 20s. This is the first business I've had where I've got real investment, real money, and I'm on this incredible journey and every day is fantastic. And actually what I can see now with it out there is a very good roadmap three, five years ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be on this growth until I, I will know the right time what to do with the business and when it is for me. Uh, you know, it's what I want to do. But the exciting thing is, is, you know, I'm 27 and if I can really maximize this over the next five years and then decide, then I'm in a good position to look at other things, do what you've done and use all this experience. Because what I've learned in a year from leaving my job mm. is 10 times more than anything I've ever done. Mm. Mm. So you know, and I, and I think it's just the excitement of just getting better and more grounded and just really doing something like this. It really is rapid career. It's nuts. It's hard though, stressful. I mean, yeah. And on that, it's mentally, hard. mentally, it's a roller coaster. You have good days, you have bad days. That probably leads on to having a co founder, Jed. Mm. Yeah, he's been amazing. I watch you guys, the way you guys interact, the way you guys bounce off each other, the way you both manage your own departments. Tell me about having a business partner. Is it critical? Uh, yeah. I don't think you... Opinions. You're, I, I, I just don't know how you do it without a co-founder. Mm. Some people have had bad co- like experiences where they've met someone in a job, uh, like a, they're both from the same industry and did it and then it's not worked out. Or um, you've met someone along the way uh, that was really good in one side, you're really good in the other, oh, let's be co-founders. Um, and that was a thing for us is because we're best friends. Like, we've been best mates since we were 10, so, like, 17, 18 years, right? But he's really good at the stuff that I'm really bad at. Mm, mm. And he's not that he's not good at the stuff that I am, but to be honest with you, I can't do what he does. I just can't get my head around the processes and the things that he has in place and how he does them. He's very pragmatic. Mm. And it, we complement each other well, and 100%. But you know, he'll say the same. The business wouldn't be where it is without each other. Like we both quit very high-paying. I mean, he had his own business. Mm. He quit his own business that was earning a lot of money to do this. So we all we've both put in the same risk and time, and I think that's helped as well because we contributed the same. We mm. both raised money. We both quit the same money to do this. And that, I think, is obviously very important as well. It's very equal. Mm, mm, amazing. So you've got quite a bit of runway now. You're looking to open up your next investment round in May? May. Mm, you know, like, we don't... I, I, I've I've not put timestamps on raising. Um, you never know when, you know... You, the way that we've done it is, is just if, there, is, if there's good money there and it's not heavy dilutions and it's had a good price and there's a reason for it you know it's not just opening the doors for something that's going to buy you two weeks or a month you know if you go okay this is going to open the doors for a good few months and this connection and this network then it's worth doing Mm. so it's kind of you're never not raising Mm -hmm. um but we've started to because of there's been quite good pr um you know EU startups evening standards uh, tech rounds so there's been a lot of press that's kind of got a bit of but so it's been good to sort of have some more conversations. Amazing. 
and UK rolling out what, up to a thousand venues this year. Mm. What's next? Where? What country? You obviously, as you're scaling a business, it's all about land grabbing, first mover advantage. Is the US next? The thing is about this business is like you know I think about it all the time is. You know, the, where, where some businesses have struggled is, um, like in a marketplace I'm talking about, is the um, supplier power. So there's marketplace apps that have maybe f- five or eight businesses plugged into it, and if one of those businesses fall off, it's a big loss. Mm. With something like ours, the good thing comes at the end, which is you, the more venues you get on, the better, and if one or two or 10% drop off, your business still exists because yeah. you've got that and you're constantly growing. It's not one person drops, everyone does. So for me, is showing that we can get it going in London and making a strong playbook. Like we're already doing things like venues are signing up themselves without any human intervention. Um, businesses are ordering, you know, Amble brands for their venues to drive their own bookings. So it's, it's those sort of green shoots that are helping create this sort of strong playbook mm-hmm. to show that it works in London which then means that we can take it nationally. And because of some of the groups that we have in London that have an international presence, it then makes sense to start the footprint there. Um, I'd love to go to New York after this. Yeah. Yes, but the nice thing is, is with, again, going back to my point of, because it's a tech app and once we get it really going here, it's, you know, we're building still here. It then means almost more of a transferring rather than a, building up again replicate replicate connect to a local get the venues on heavy marketing get promotion and 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 go i mean look it's not going to be easy it's way easier you know way easier said than done but at least we know it will work here and the traction's there and then take it internationally now last question what's your advice for any founder that is in the idea phase hasn't started doing anything yet what's the first thing they should do What's the kind of documentation they should urgently look to get together? What what really benef- benefited you? I think if you've got an idea and you've done nothing about it, what else you meant? Like, what, what would you expect? I think if you've got an idea and you've done something about it, even just making a logo, yeah. even just writing down the business model, it doesn't need a 20-page business plan because it will change the week after. Mm, mm. But if you've written down, uh, if you've identified a problem and you think you've got a solution that will be a revenue-generative business, that is all you need, and the story of why you're doing it, then that's all you need. Yes, of course, you need to think about financially, if you can do it, some people can do it and still work full time. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Some people can, and that's okay. You can always get someone else to run the business for you and raise money for that. So, I think if you've got an idea and you do those things of just getting it on paper, get the story, product, solution, and the business model there, you can then figure out the: Do I leave? Do I not leave? Do I get someone else to do it? Do I not? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's how many times you go: oh, I can't because of this. It is what it is. It's, and it comes down to your mindset of whether you're ready to just to go fuck it and go for it. Love it. Love it. Have to. Awesome. Well, I know you're a busy man, so we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much for ha- coming on our Apollo's first show for 2023. Mm. And uh, yeah, 
very excited to watch what happens over the next year and beyond. Thanks, Tom. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks for listening to another episode of How to Start a Startup, brought to you by Hyper. Do you have a product or business idea but don't know where to start? Visit us at hyperhq.com and book a free confidential session with a Hyper business mentor to discuss your idea and how to make it a reality. We'd love to talk. And that's all for this week. See you next time.